All right, everybody. Ooh, yeah. I'm, I'm hot in a different way this morning. Hot on the mic. So um, if you're wondering um, who's this guy on the stage, normally just kind of picture me behind the drum set, and it may, may make a little more sense. Usually if I'm on the stage, I'm back there. Uh, but my name's John Seal, and uh, I'm, I'm blessed and honored to be able to preach a sermon uh, for you guys today. My very first time to ever, ever preach uh, anywhere. Um, and... Uh, and you are the, the guests that get to hear it. Yeah. So lucky you, right? Lucky you. So uh, Alan, uh, I'm, a, I'm, an, sorry, I'm a, one of the elders here at uh, Living Hope, in case I, I don't know you already, and um, alongside Alan and Howard and Nathan. Um, and Alan fled the country. He's in Guatemala, you know, <laughs> serving, serving as a, a mission team there with his family. Uh, Nathan also out of the country. It's kind of a strange Sunday. We have a lot of people out of the country. Uh, his family's in Spain uh, right now. We're praying for them just uh, that, that they're doing, uh, that God is working through them wherever they are right now. So a little bit about me, uh, just in case I haven't had a chance to meet you. Um, I'm married to Kristen Seal right back here, beautiful young lady. Uh, yeah, we've been married for 18 years. Our marriage is a legal adult now. Our marriage is 18 years old, and we're looking forward to the marriage getting a job and earning his own wages. Uh, we have two amazing kids, Peter, right here. He is 13, and Faith, who was just up here on stage, a 10-year-old. Um, we love them so much, and uh, we've been here at Living Hope for uh, since 2005, so about 17 years now, um, which is crazy to think uh, how, how fast that has gone by. Um, we've played on the praise team, uh, discipleship team, uh, through teaching and different things like that uh, throughout those years, and if you don't know, um, we just love this church family. We, we love this, this Living Hope family. It's a special place to be, um, not because of always just because of the people, but because of the way God moves through the people and the way you guys serve and love on each other. You've, you've blessed our family throughout the years uh, in this church. Um, I don't get paid to be an elder, and I don't get paid to preach, which is probably a sign, but um, in my day job, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the head band director at College Station High School, and so if you look under your chair, um, you might have a recorder or a trumpet. And if so, we'll teach you a lesson this morning. No. Um, those, those families at um, College Station High School, there's about 200 families there um, that, we, that we see as part of our family ministry. So like if, if you're, whatever you do, if you're not a preacher or a pastor, which is a majority of you, I'm sure, um, wherever you are, wherever you're working, that is your ministry. Is that right, Living Hope? I mean... When, when God is working through you, it's just your daily, your daily, your daily job there is to minister to those families. Um, also, Kristen is the band director at Wellburn Middle School. Peter is in the band, and Faith will be in the band in about one more year, so it's going to be a, uh, a band family in a whole new way. All right. Um, and just on a side note, let me tell you how, how badly uh, kids that are in the public school systems need, need uh, good, strong Christian men and women uh, as, their, as their teachers and as their administrators as volunteers, um, like no, probably like no other time in, in history, uh, and mostly because of um, these things that we have in our pockets, right? Kids, kids nowadays just have so many different pressures added to them because of things like social media and stuff um, that we just we didn't experience it in that way as as when we grew up, um, and so we need we need God to move through those school systems because that's the future of our country, right? Between homeschool and, and public schools. All right, one, one more little story. Uh, I find this kind of like a funny story in a way. Funny, funny, not funny maybe, but uh, going through the elder process, um, 
before before we became an elder, uh, Alan and Don Vandeventer, uh, Matt Palermo came over to the house and kind of uh, asking us questions and you know, interviewing us and um, stuff like that. And one of the things he brought up was, hey, if you become an elder, would you be willing to preach sometime? And I was like, nope, I don't need to preach. Like, I, I don't see myself as a preacher. I'm pretty comfortable teaching. That's what I've been doing for, for this many years. Um, but, but I just don't see myself preaching. Like, that's, that's just not something I intend to do. And then after becoming an elder, uh, we all kind of met uh, one time uh, in the summer up in the up, upstairs rooms. And uh, I remember Alan bringing it up again. Hey, Nathan, you know, would you, would you ever like to preach? John, would you like to preach? And Howard, and of course, Howard, Howard's preached sermons off and on already, so it was, it was pretty comfortable um, for him to be asked. And, and I was just like, no, like seriously, I, I, really, don't, I really don't need to preach. I don't, I don't see myself as a preacher. Um, plus, I'm, you know, I'm pretty busy as a band director, and I just don't think I have time to prepare for a sermon and, and, uh, and get up in front of everybody and, and say that. Uh, and then again, this last April... So just about six weeks ago or so, uh, Alan said, hey, I'm going to be gone several times this summer for different reasons, and I really need people to pick up uh, some of these sermons. And I think he'd emailed Jacob and Howard and Nathan, David, um, and I. And, of course, you know, I got that email, and I'm like, okay, this is like the third time <laughs> that I'm on this list of people, you know, that, that he's asking, hey, uh, could you preach? And so I'm pretty stubborn. You could probably ask my wife. I'm, I'm a pretty stubborn person. Um, but usually when, when I was so proud of myself for saying no, because I say yes uh, so often, but usually by the third time, it's kind of like, hey, maybe, maybe God's telling me I should help out in this way. And so I told Alan, okay, Alan, I'm going to take, I'm going to take one of the first, one of the first options you have here, uh, and I'm going to preach. And, and I knew we were going to be in Psalms, and I love the book of Psalms, uh, definitely, as many of you do, I'm sure. So here we are. After all those, all those times, and, and here's number one, right? Here's, here's the first time. First time's the hardest time, that's what I hear, so who knows? All right, so um, just like any other sermon you hear or any other preacher you hear, don't trust just what I say. Um, trust Scripture. Trust, trust what you know uh, that, that God says. Don't even really even trust yourself, right? So if I say something just off the wall, uh, not, I'm not talking about jokes, but if I say something off the wall for from scripture uh, today, uh, then scripture is right and I'm wrong all the time. Scripture is right and I'm wrong. So the way to handle that, though, that I would, that I would encourage you is the way to handle that is catch me afterwards. Don't, don't storm me here on the stage. Don't take me off the stage. Catch me afterwards. Pray about, pray about what you heard. Uh, I'll pray with you and we'll, we'll work it out, but we definitely don't want anything. Um, scripture is always right and, and, I, and I'm wrong if, if we're different from each other. Okay, so enough about me, enough about all of that. You ready to jump into the, to the sermon for, for today? That was all the free stuff? Okay, good. All right, so if you'll turn to Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8, and maybe we can put that on the screen if it's working. Uh, we'll, let's read Psalm chapter 130, verses 1 through 8, and then I'll pray. It says, verse 1 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. 
O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you that the Bible is, is perfect the way you have it. We thank you that we don't need to add anything to it. You can speak to us directly from your scripture. I ask this morning that you um, speak through through me, but, but mostly through the words that you have here in scripture. Father, speak to the, the, the church family here. Open our hearts, open our ears and our, and our eyes to what you have for us to learn. Not just so we can get smarter, Father, but so that we can know more about you and love you more. For that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's, let's look at kind of the setting of this psalm. There's a, there's a whole bunch of book, uh, a whole bunch of uh, chapters in Psalms, correct? There's over, over 100, right? We're in, we're in 130 right now. Um, and this specific psalm is, a, uh, is one of seven different, different penitential songs. By penitential, just mean like a song of confession, you know? So you're, you're confessing your sins to God. There's seven different ones of those in, in the book of Psalm, and 130 is the sixth one of that. Um, also, if you look, probably most of your Bibles should start with a song of ascents. Everybody see that at the beginning? So a song of ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S, right? Um, there's 15 of those in, in the book of Psalms, 15 of those. And it starts in chapter 120, and it goes to, the, to chapter 134. And let's talk about what, those, what that means instead of just being a footnote there. So the city of Jerusalem is, is situated high on a hill in the country there. And so pilgrims or Jewish people that were traveling to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate like the Passover feast or one of the main festivals um, of their time, one of those main religious festivals, they would be traveling from wherever, whether they were coming from the north, the south, the east, or the west, and they would head towards Jerusalem. And they would call it the Song of Ascents because, like I said, it was on a hill. So as they got closer, they had to climb this hill. And as they got closer and closer, they would sing these different songs as, as they were traveling. It's not like they had the radio, right? They didn't have a CD player. They didn't have their MP3 players. And so to get their minds focused correctly on what they were about to do and where they were about to go worship, they just began worship early. Um, and so there were songs of confession, like we see here, songs of just praising God. So when you get a chance sometime maybe this week, just kind of look through Psalms 120 all the way through 134 and just kind of see that progression. And as you get closer and closer to where if they sang them in order, you can kind of see how, how uh, it's set up well. Uh, also, you see that it, um, some Bibles will say maybe, this, maybe David wrote this because he wrote a whole bunch of Psalms. Um, I think my Bible says it could be Hezekiah, um, but also there's, I've seen scripture that say it's just anonymous. How many of you have, have just anonymous in, in your scripture that, out there? Nobody. Okay, good. <laughs> Yeah, so it, the, the main important part about it is not who wrote it, but it's really what's in the scripture, correct? Because we know that God inspired it, and so it doesn't matter if David wrote it, Hezekiah wrote it, or, or we don't know who wrote it, if it's anonymous, uh, but we know that God inspired it if it's included in our scripture here. All right, so let's, let's start to dig into each verse here. So we've already read the, the chapter as a whole. Um, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. So what's going on in that verse? We see uh, that the, the psalm writer is, he is deep in sorrow because of his sin. 
he, he regrets sinning against God. Uh, out of the depths, that, that picture in my mind is just being like underwater. Like there is nothing that he can do uh, on his own uh, to change things. And so that we see, we see that, we see him calling out to God, and, and the Hebrew uh, word for God in this, in this section, the L-O-R-D, all caps, means it's one of, the, one of the names of God. And in this case, it's Yahweh, which is Savior and Comforter. So he's in the depths, and he knows that there's nothing else that he can do but to call out to the Savior, his Savior, and his Comforter. So, so it also designates, or it shows that there is a, a relationship there. Um, this is not a situation to where he thinks he can just kind of get himself out of it all by himself. It's, this is not a self-help situation, you know, three steps to a better life. This is not, this is not that. Uh, he's, he's there uh, calling out to God because whenever you're in those rock-bottom places and you know that you've sinned against God, nothing, nothing else can change that. You, nothing you can do can change that, um, can change that consequence of sin. But only, only God can. Okay, so it's not just a dig down deep. You don't want to just dig down deep and try to get it out yourself. And, and if you're a friend of somebody that's in a situation and, and you notice them sin and, and, you, and you notice that they're in a, just a really tough place, that's another time that you, don't, you as the friend don't need to say, hey, start digging yourself out of this. The way, that, the, the way that they get out of those situations or the way that they confess that sin is to confess it to God, not just to you, right? So you pray for them that, that, they, that they lift that up to God. Let's look at Psalm uh, chapter 40. There's, a, there's, a, there's kind of a reference in Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. And he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. You can kind of see a little similarity there. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And then in verse 2, he says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Some words in there we don't really typically use, miry bog and stuff like that. Basically, he was stuck in a, he was stuck in a place. But what you see is he doesn't, he's not asking for God to help him climb out of that. He says that God lifted him out of that because he couldn't do it on his own. Okay, so as we, as we look through these verses, just remember, Scripture should reinforce other Scripture like this does, uh, but also you can see how God took care of the situation because only God can. But you also see that 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 the writer here that it's his it's his heart his inclination of his heart is in a situation where he's not trying to fix it himself he's he's looking to god to do it let's look at verse two back in chapter 130 so O lord and this is this is not all caps in my bible O lord hear my voice let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy so this lord and in, in this in this verse is uh the translation would be adonai Okay, a little bit, little bit different than earlier, right, where we said Savior and Comforter. This is more of a personal Lord. This is my Lord. My, you know, it's that personal relationship that he, that he sees here, that he's, that he's calling out to here. And we see that he's calling out, and he has pleas, right, P-L-E-A-S, pleas there for mercy. And it talks about his voice doing that. So that's, to me, it, it sounds like it's something that he is saying out loud or crying out loud not just in his head. Sometimes we get in our own head and we stay there for a while, right? Um, until we're moved to a place to where it's like, I need to just cry out to God verbally. And that's where we should go. That's where we should go. So those pleas uh, could be inner groanings. 
this is, doesn't have to be a fancy worded prayer. You don't have to have all the right words to say. It's God knows the, the condition of our heart, right? And he knows when we are contrite, when we're, whenever, whenever our heart is like, I can't do this, God, you know, and, and I need uh, re- redemption from this. Um, sometimes we don't even know what to say if, if we're in such a, such a sad, if, if, we, if we see sin for what it really is, we don't know what to say to God sometimes. But the, the, the blessing is, is that the Holy Spirit does know what to say. If you have a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit does know what to say. Let's look uh, quickly at Romans chapter 8. Do I have that one for you guys on the screen? Romans chapter 8, yeah. So in Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27, uh, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And this psalmist is in, in a weakness right now. We would be too. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, so it doesn't matter that we don't know what to say. We know that our heart is inclined in a certain way and the Spirit will intercede for us. Isn't that a blessing? That's a blessing for us. Because that's, again, God reaching out to us when we don't deserve it and providing a way to get us out of there. And then uh, at the end of uh, verse 2 in chapter 130, we see that he, he pleads for mercy. He's not, he's not asking here uh, for anything. He's not asking for, God, I need, I need money. Money would help fix this situation. I, maybe if I just had better health, you know, I have this, I have this illness, and, if, and if, if I could just have better health, then, then that'll fix my sin issue. Um, maybe just make me stronger like Samson. You did, you did that to Samson, right? Samson was pretty strong. Like nothing, nothing like that along those, along those lines because the, the writer here, he knows that the only thing, it, it's so bad off that the only thing that he can ask for and the most important thing he can ask for is mercy. Okay, so mercy from what? Uh, we, we sang about this a second ago and Howard, Howard uh, mentioned this and I think Jacob did too. Mercy because the, the wages of our sin is death. So when we sin against God, the natural wage, the thing that we have earned, is death and separation from God. Um, so he's pleading for mercy um, because he knows that he's sinned against God and that he knows that um, his sin causes, causes guilt. There's got to be somebody to blame whenever, whenever um, we sin against God. Fortunately, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus... Paid our, paid our sin, paid for our sins on the cross. We'll get into that more later. Um, but right now in the middle of this chapter, that's where he is. He's, he's saying, I'm, I'm pleading for mercy. And so he's also not presuming upon God's grace. You know, he knows that God is going to forgive him. He knows that his word says that, that uh, if his heart is right, that, 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 that there is forgiveness, and we'll get into that. But he's not, he's not sinning with the intention of being forgiven. He's... he's He's upset that he has he, that he has wronged God and, and that he has sinned here, and he's and so he's he's not presuming upon that grace. As we get ready to move into verse three, we kind of see a shift uh, between where he's crying out to God to more talking about God. He's describing God, thinking about God. So let's look at verse three. He says, "If you, O Lord, again capital L O R D, uh, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand?" So what he's saying here is this Lord is Yah, the creator of the universe, okay, the creator of the universe. He sustains all things by just the, the, the word of his power. When he sees God in that way, he knows that, um, that 
God is not just another person. He's not just another thing. He's, he's calling, he's describing God as the creator of the universe, uh, which he rightfully is, of course. Um, the word iniquities is kind of a strange word um, sometimes. Yes, it can mean sins. Um, the Hebrew word for iniquities here is avon, which I thought was kind of funny. Avon, because some of you like avon ladies, right? Avon. I don't know if there's any relationship between those two. Um, but it's probably not even pronounced Avon, it's probably like a bone or something, I don't know. But um, basically, Avon means guilt, okay? So you're guilty, Avon ladies. Guilt. We're, but we're all guilty. We're all guilty. If we sin, we're all guilty, right? Okay, so he says, no one is without sin. We see that in Romans. Uh, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Um, and because we have sinned, in light of God and his holiness, that we're all, we're, all, we're all guilty in his eyes, except for the major fact that if we have accepted Jesus as, as our Savior, he's paid for our sins. Okay? But in verse 3, he's saying, Oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, if you, if, if you keep track of all of my iniquities and all of my guilt, oh, Lord, who could stand against you? And that's the truth. Like, if Jesus wasn't there, or if those, maybe in the Old Testament, if God hadn't set up a way for them to, hey, sacrifice this animal, sacrifice that, because that's your atonement sacrifice. If he hadn't set up all of those things in the Old Testament, and if he hadn't been pointing to the fact that all of that leads to Christ, um, we, would, we wouldn't be able to stand against him. There's nothing that we can do on our own that, that puts us in, in a right relationship with God. So that's why he sent his son, Jesus. Uh, do we have Romans uh, 3, 9 through 12 for the screen? All right, thank you. So let's read Romans chapter 3 here, 9 through, 9 through 12. It says, What then? Are Jews any better off? I know we're kind of in the middle of a passage. It says, No, not at all. <clears throat> for we've already charged that all, both Jew, Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, No one is righteous. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. And no one seeks for God. Nobody just goes out looking for God, right? All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. And no one does good, not even one. So that's our natural state. That's our natural state because of our sin. But again, God provided a way. So I don't want us to just sit in the, in the down portion of it. We, we need to realize what sin is and what it looks like. But I don't want to sit there because God has provided a way through Jesus. But we do have to see, we have to know that there, we have to have a proper view of, of who God is. And if we have a, a better view, I think, of who God is in his holiness, it also gives us a better view of what our, what our sin is. And, and it should lead us to repentance away from sin. For not, we know that we're going to continue to sin because we're human, but we should not ever want to sin. We shouldn't want to choose our, our, ourselves and our way over God's ways. We should love God and and that should be our inclination. So one of the things maybe in your uh, worship guide says, low views of God are usually accompanied by low views of sin. Okay? So if I don't, God bless you, yeah. If I don't see God as, as, as who he is, or if I don't know God well enough by reading scripture and by praying to him and having a relationship with him, then I also won't have a proper view of what, what sin is. Okay? So the more you know about God, the more you see that separation of, of where sin puts you in standing with him. And, and it should also lead you to appreciation 
and more love for what Jesus did and what God did through his son. Let's look at verse 4. So in verse 4, we start to see a shift because there's the word but there, so a little bit of a contrast. Um, But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So if I combine 3 and 4 together just to kind of get that thought, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Isn't it so good that we have verse 4? If it was just verse 3, verse 4 sure helps helps you um, get to where you need to be. So he's saying, yes, I'm a sinner, but Lord, your word says you provide forgiveness. Okay, Without forgiveness, all hope is lost. If there's no forgiveness, then, then, then our hope is, uh, is worthless. But we can hope because we know that God's word says, um, says he'll forgive us if our heart is right. Um, I don't think I have this one on the screen, but let me, let me read. 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 9. You can turn there if you'd like to. So 1 John 1, 5 through 9, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet, or if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And then verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and this is the important part, all of it's important, but this is, very, this is the key. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then verse 10 finishes it up, and it says, if we, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. That's, that's scary, right? That's something to be feared. But it's also a blessing when you hear verse 9. All right, so when, when you see forgiveness back in verse 4 of chapter 130, uh, for, forgiveness doesn't mean that God um, just acts like nothing has happened, because we have sinned. But... He has forgiven us of that sin. When, when, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he doesn't look at us in our dirtiness and our, in our sinful nature. He looks at us through the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So he looks at us and he sees his perfect son if, if, if he is our savior. But along those same lines, uh, forgiveness comes at great cost. Think about, think about in, your, in your own relationships with just other people. It, it costs you a lot to forgive somebody, right? Sometimes we might go years before we forgive somebody because you have to let go of whatever that bitterness was or whatever, whatever that wrong might have been that they did to you. Well, look at the great cost that we see in Scripture. We see, um, like in the Old Testament, I kind of mentioned this earlier, we see that there were sacrifices made, and there was a great cost in those sacrifices. It wasn't like, oh, we'll just pick any animal, you know, and sacrifice this animal. It was, it was the best. Give, God said, give me your best, sacrifice your best for that atonement uh, of your sins. And so uh, whether it was on a daily basis or, or however often um, they, they had all the sacrifices set up, it, it was a, at great cost to them. Now look towards the New Testament. All of that was just pointing towards, God was just showing them, look, all of those things, yes, it cost you, maybe monetary uh, cost, maybe an investment or whatever. I'm trying to teach you some things, but, but I'm really just pointing to 
the perfect lamb that, that's gonna, that I'm going to sacrifice for you, which is Jesus Christ. So it was that forgiveness that, that we so often ask for, uh, for our sins when we ask God. That was, a, that was a great cost. We shouldn't just go into it with, with a, a shallow mindset. We should understand that um, that cost was purchased by Jesus' life, death, and, and, and uh, death by crucifixion on the cross, and then resurrection again, of course. So, in verse 4, it says that there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Let's talk about that for just a little bit. So, why is there forgiveness? So that God may be feared. Not that he only forgives us so that he can be feared. I think, that's, I think the word fear, maybe in our modern language, just doesn't give us the right meaning of what, what, what he's going for here. Uh, so, fear, like, in our modern language, I, I tend to think of fear as like I'm scared of something. You know, like a scary movie. I, it, maybe it makes me fearful or... I'm scared of spiders. I'm fearful of spiders. Only a little bit. Like if they jump on me, I'm really fearful. <laughs> Might scream. Maybe. <laughs> Depending on how big the spider is. But really, the, really what he's talking about here is, is more of a reverence. So who else can forgive sins but God, the creator of the universe? So he reveres God. He holds, he holds God in awe. There's an awesomeness there. Okay? And that's how we should also view God. Because he's the only one that, that can forgive our sins. There's that, there's that right reverence. Um, you might have this in your sermon notes uh, or in your worship guide. It says, the Lord offers forgiveness by grace apart from any human merit. Okay? So what that means is there's nothing that we can do to earn God's forgiveness, just like we talked about in the children's chat. The Lord offers forgiveness by grace apart from any human merit. And that's a blessing because you don't want to go around life saying, well, I'm good enough. And so since I'm good enough today or right now in this moment um, that I've earned, I've earned salvation, uh, we, we all get salvation if we choose to take that free gift. And, and God would like to see us in that relationship. Let's look at Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. Can we put that one on the screen? Thank you. It says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those or he saves the crushed in spirit. So you see that crushed in spirit, uh, that's the same kind of inclination that we see here in, in Psalm chapter 130. You see that he's, he's uh, truly sorry for his sin. So you see another psalm here where talking about the same thing. Um, how often are we crushed in spirit over our sins, you know? I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm not saying well, I'm just not very good, you know, and, and then I'm just buried underneath this weight of condemnation because Jesus says that he, he lifts all that burden from us. So it's not that we carry around baggage of the sins that we've done, uh, but, but it's, the, it's the feeling of I've wronged you, God, because I chose myself over you, and I've sinned against you. And so when we see crushed in spirit, we want to see that we're truly sorry uh, for your sin uh, to, to, to receive forgiveness. So let's see the right perception of God's mercy. The right perception of God's mercy uh, helps the heart to correctly cultivate the fear or reverence of the Lord. So if we can see God's mercy in the, in the, in the right perception, in the right perspective, that's going to help our heart understand what it is to, to fear or, or revere the Lord. So how do we get a proper view of God? How do we know God more? Um, 
we know him more every time he chooses to reveal himself to us. If you've taken Experiencing God class, talk about you, you, you get to know God by experiencing God, and you experience God by, by doing things like reading scripture. You, like how else are you going to get to know about God? You read scripture. It talks about God all throughout scripture. Um, you can look around. You can see his creation in the world, right? You ever go to Colorado and just look at the mountains? You know, it's just a beautiful majesty, and it's like somebody created that, and it wasn't a man, right? God created stuff like that, and the ocean, and just so many things that he's made in creation, flowers, and the the details that, that, are so, that are so beautiful. So we see it in creation, we see it through scripture, we see it through his creation in people, the diversity of people is just a, a, a beautiful majesty of what, what, what God is just, a, just all about in his creativity. Uh, and we also see it through his son, Jesus. So the, the better we know God, the more we can understand the mercy that he's showing us here, which also helps us um, revere him correctly. There's a, there's a pastor, he's still alive, he's uh, Alistair Begg, he's a senior pastor at uh, Parkside Church in Cleveland, and he says, if we want to know just how holy God is, and how much he cares about sin, and how much he cares about us, then all you have to do is stand and look at the cross of Jesus Christ, okay? If God wasn't holy, and of course he is, but if God wasn't holy, there would be no reason for the cross, right? But God is holy, and we do sin, and the cross was the atonement of those sins. <clears throat> and that's just how much he loves us. Um, apart from salvation in Jesus Christ, there's no way that any of us, like we said earlier, can stand um, at the judgment seat of, of God and, and say anything besides I'm guilty. So apart from that salvation, we can't say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I did a lot of good things, right? I helped out people. Maybe I gave money. Maybe I, maybe I tithed to the church. I even gave offerings. I gave above my tithe, right? None of that matters when it comes to salvation. That's all an outflow of, of having salvation. Um, those, are, those are the ways that, we, that we're obedient to what he has. But if I'm, if I'm standing in front of God on judgment day, the only, the only plea that I can say is I'm guilty unless I've accepted Jesus as my, as my Savior and that's, that's where God will see that. Oh, but maybe I can just say, well, hey, I'm, I'm better off than maybe my brother. Man, my brother's not, 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 he's just not, you know, he, he does a lot of stuff. So I'm better off than him. Or maybe I'm better off than my boss or my coworkers or, or somebody else. But it's, it's not about that. It's, you, we don't compare ourselves to other people when, when, we, when, when, when there's judgment on the line. Um, the example, if anything, the example is Jesus. Right, that's our that's our comparison, and we'll never we'll never reach uh, here on earth. We'll never reach that the level that Jesus was, but He provides the way again um, through the Holy Spirit that we can learn and and get closer to Him. So let's read from Luke chapter eighteen. Let's read from Luke chapter eighteen, talking about comparing ourselves to people and putting our putting our faith in the wrong things. So Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, verse 9 says, Jesus, this is Jesus, he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Uh, two men went up to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. Sounds like a setup for a bad joke, doesn't it? Like, two men walk into a bar. Okay. So the Pharisee 
standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Like, like wow. I fast twice a week. I give tithes, tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So in those, in those two men, the theologian John Bunyan says, in, in these two men from that, from that parable, uh, you can find the condition of the whole world. The whole world either falls into people that say, hey, I'm good enough because of what I do, and I, and I, I cloak my uh, sin and my pride, basically. Or you can look at the tax collector, the other man, and, and it, they're the people that are humble, and they just confess their sin. They say, it's not, a, it's not about what I can do, but God, I need your help. Okay, as we're back in Psalm 130, uh, we're headed to verse 5, we, we see kind of a shift again. We went from crying to really describing the Lord and, and how he sees sin, and now we see, we see we're shifting towards hope and, and waiting. So if we look at verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord, and this is another Adonai uh, Lord um, in this case. It says, my soul waits in his word, I hope. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. So how good are we at waiting? We're not a waiting type of people, right? We're not a waiting type of people. We love microwaves. We love it to happen right now. Uh, we're not good in the waiting. If we're waiting for a phone call from somebody, you know, we'll text them, hey, are you going to call? Are you going to come over? Like it, waiting is just not something that we're good at. Um, but you see here, uh, this, this person says that I wait for the Lord and my soul waits, and in his word I hope. So, so while he's waiting, he's, wor- he's, he's uh, ready to put his hope in God's word. Look, the Hebrew words for the beginning of this verse, the Hebrew words are Kaviti Adonai, so where it says, while I wait for the Lord, Kaviti Adonai. So in that combination, it's kind of a description of um, he's looking for closeness with God again. So he knows he's sinned, and he's, he's waiting to have that closeness, that restoration with God again. He's not hoping to get something from God, like, like we said earlier. He's not hoping to get rich or anything like that, but it's a restoration of that fellowship so that relationship, that's, what he, that's, what he, that's where his hope is. Uh, if we can look at Psalm 51, verse 12. Psalm 51, verse 12. He says, um, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Okay? That's that type of a hope. Remember when you first got saved, right? You had that, that joy. And, and back in uh, chapter 51, he's saying, Restore to me that joy of your salvation. That same type of hope is what he's, what he's looking for here, that freshness, that redemption. Um, and again, he can wait with this type of hope because he can trust the Lord in his word. If you, can, if you cannot trust anybody, you can certainly trust God in his word. Uh, and his word says that he'll forgive them, like we read back in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 9 earlier. So living hope, we can, we can wait with this same type of hopefulness um, and confidence in the forgiveness of our Father. Because his word says that he'll forgive you if you're truly repentant of your sins. Okay? So don't go around, you know, carrying all of your baggage and saying that I'm just going to clean myself up. Let's wait on, wait on the Lord and wait on his forgiveness and, and lean in and hope for his forgiveness because he says he will forgive us. Okay, look at verse 6 
as we get ready to wrap up. It says, My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning, more than a watchman for the morning. So it says that twice. It's got to be something special when you, when you see something like that in Scripture. Uh, scripture is always written on purpose. It's not just, there's not fluff, extra fluff in the Scripture. And so we see that he has it twice there. And, it, and in this case, it's just giving extra emphasis on that statement. So we see an emphasis on the statement of more than watchmen for the morning. So what, what are watchmen? Uh, and, and in one case, it could, be, it could be that like a military watchman, you know, standing guard overnight. So you, if you're a military watchman standing guard overnight uh, in the city there, you're, you're protecting your, your fellow city men. And, and at nighttime, if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen at nighttime, right? People are going to try to invade or whatever is going to happen, but, but uh, the danger is there at nighttime. And so when you see that it, my soul is waiting for the Lord in verse 6, more than a watchman for the morning, there's kind of that connotation or that feeling of that watchman is ready for morning to come because that's when, that's when the danger is gone, right? And his shift is over and he can go on uh, about his day. Uh, there's also uh, some commentators will say that uh, there's, there, there's a decent chance that he could be even talking about like a Levite priest um, in the temple where, where they, they were watchmen overnight and, and the Levite priest was, was selected and deciding um, that he would stay up and as soon as it was daybreak, as soon as it was dawn, he would offer the sacrifice for his people for that morning. So he'd go up to the temple and offer the sacrifice of atonement. So there's that anxiousness there where uh, this Levite priest is doing this incredibly important job back, back in that time of I'm the one that gets to offer the sacrifice that will, that will atone for our sins, you know, that, that we've had. And so we see that in verse 6, that it's, there's that waiting for the hope in the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. So it's, it's not just a release from toil, but it's a positive blessing and the renewed, and the renewed assurance of God's covenant mercy. All right, let's look at verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, capital again, right? For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. He has moved uh, beyond his personal grief here, so we see another shift in these last two verses. Um, he's, he's, he's not just focused on himself now. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to his fellows, his, his countrymen, uh, his, uh, his, other, his other Jews, and he's saying, with the Lord, there is steadfast love. So he's, he, he's got, he, he understands that forgiveness, and he's telling others about it. It's not just for himself, right? And that's what we should do, right? Whenever Jesus works in our lives, whenever God works in our lives, we don't just need to say, oh, thank you. Oh, yes, I'm good. No, we should tell others about God's love, tell others about Jesus' love. And you see him start to do that here. We see um, the Hebrew word uh, for hope, or we can hope because of that Hebrew word called chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. It's that unfailing love that God has. We kind of sang about that a second ago, right? So there's that unfailing love that God has. It's steadfast love. That's a steadfast love. It, it just never ends. His love never ends. It's not like our love. He loves differently uh, than us. We, we're a little bit more temporary with our love, right? A little more fickle with our love sometimes, or just because we don't understand love truly uh, as as much as God does since he created it, and he is love. Um, we see that Israel was, re was redeemed from bondage in Egypt, right, with the Passover, and we see that, that we have been redeemed from bondage, bondage to sin, and he has paid our ransom in Jesus, Jesus Christ. 
And then as we shift into verse 8, we see uh, the author say that he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. So again, he's pointing to the future Messiah. And this is hundreds of years before Jesus, right? It's just another, another prophecy that is fulfilled. He says he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Um, he's pointing to Jesus. And how did he fulfill it? He fulfilled it, fulfilled it through Jesus. So if I could just summarize the last two verses um, between 7 and 8. It says, hope in the Lord because there's forgiveness from your sins. Why does he forgive? Because of his steadfast love. So hope in the Lord because there's forgiveness for your sins. He forgives because of his steadfast love. How? It's through, it's through the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. And what does he forgive? He forgives all of our iniquities. It's not a pick and choose. It's not a, oh, it's, it's the top three of your iniquities. He forgives all of our iniquities. When you think about somebody that may be a, a cancer patient, I've had, I've had you know, cancer in our family um, my father had cancer. Um, we know a lot of people that have cancer. We think about a cancer, somebody that gets a cancer diagnosis. Um, one of the most often questions when they come out of surgery or if they have different appointments or different blood tests is, is um, did they get all the cancer, right? Did, is the cancer gone? Is the cancer removed? Um, and so every blood test or every phone call, you know, you're just questioning whether or not something's going to pop back up. You might live in a and, and uh, anxiousness sometimes because of that. But with Jesus and our sins, we don't have to wonder that, that, his, that his sacrifice covered our, only part of our sins or all of our sins. Okay? With Jesus, he covered all of our sins. So as we, as we start to wrap up, you have your worship guide, and it says, um, we should cry out to God when we're in our depths. He's, only, he's the only one that can truly help us. Uh, it says, low views of God are usually accompanied by, accompanied by low views of sin. Uh, also, the Lord offers forgiveness, praise the Lord, through Jesus Christ uh, by grace, apart from any human merit. And then finally, tell others about God's love found in Jesus. So it's, again, it's not just about what we've received, but that we should tell others about God's love that's, that is found in Jesus. Um, and then, maybe we should be a little quicker to offer mercy and forgiveness to other people, right? Because of what we see, what we can receive, maybe we uh, should also offer that to other people. Isn't it pretty rough in the world today when you see people just, you know, go, 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 and you said this, I disagree with that, the, the kind of the cancel culture and um, not, not willing to look a little further into why did they say this or why, you know, where, where are you uh, in your walk or not... Maybe even, you know, you're not a Christian, it doesn't, you don't have a walk, but we can still, as followers of Christ, we can offer mercy and forgiveness to, to everybody because God has offered it to us, and we didn't deserve it. So if they don't deserve it, we didn't deserve it, we should offer it also. Now, if, if none of that makes sense, um, maybe, you, maybe you don't have a, a relationship with, with Christ. Maybe, maybe today as we, as we uh, respond here in a little bit, um, Maybe God's telling you today is the day for your salvation. Maybe God's saying, you, you clearly, none of this is making sense what this guy is saying. I know he's got a great goatee and everything, but it's just like, it's like nothing, no, nothing's really hitting home with me today. Um, that, and that may be because you just don't have a relationship with Christ. And that's, that's okay right now if you choose to respond um, 
to, to God today and, and to accept Jesus as your Savior. And it's not just knowing more about God that's going to get you there. It's going to be putting him as the Lord of your life. It's going to be accepting what he did on the cross and saying, God, you, you loved me when, when I was unlovable. And I'm going to continue to be unlovable. And you're going to continue to love me. And putting Jesus um, as your Lord and Savior of your life and following after him and then loving others through that. So as we, as we get ready to wrap up here in a second, I'm going to pray. Um, we'll have a, a chance to respond. We'll, the worship team will come back up. We'll also have a chance to give an, uh, we'll pass the offering plates. And so this is just our response time that we have. Um, you can, obviously you can give an offering based on um, where you feel the Lord is leading you. If you can join us uh, financially in ministry here at Living Hope, you know, that's, that's always something that, that would be a blessing. Um, but more, most importantly, m- most importantly, beyond the money, is use this time to listen to what God is speaking to you in your heart. And so as the worship team comes back up, we, we ask that you, you just you do business with God. You do business with God. So let me pray as they get ready to come back up.